Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, the thinking fan's guide to the NFL's upper Midwest teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings all serve with the side of fantasy football. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you from the heart of the Great Lakes, Metro Detroit, where you can get sunburn and frostbite all in the same day, and the most competently run sports team might be the Lions. Here's my broadcast partner and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Good evening, Midwestlanders and friends. It's a beautiful rainy day in San Antonio here, but it's very exciting. We had the NFL schedule out, and uh, me and my high school buddies from Chicago, we go to a Bears game on the road every year, and uh, we got this thing locked and loaded. So without further ado, shall we get into the uh, NFL schedule and dive into the details? Yeah, I know you thought you might have a shot at going to Europe, but uh, I think the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs put the kibosh on that. Oh, my God. That was brutal. We found out the day before the schedule released that the international uh, news came out the day before. And uh, an hour, about an hour before that, I sent a news article to my buddies trolling them saying that the Chiefs didn't want to play the Bears in Chicago or in, in Germany. And I didn't realize it was real news until a, an hour later when they had the Chiefs playing the <laughs> Dolphins in uh, in Germany. And <laughs> you thought you were forwarding the Onion, right? You were yeah. forwarding the New York Times, exactly. <laughs> and it turned out it was real, and uh, we were disappointed because we were looking at it, going, "Hey, it's a 15 year anniversary. We get to see the Super Bowl champs. The Bears usually lose, so we might as well lose going to Oktoberfest, you know, and celebrate, you know, and have a good time." But uh, Instead, um, the Bears will not be playing. Miami will be instead. Apparently, the word is that the Chiefs are playing home games against Philadelphia, Buffalo, and I think it's uh, Cincinnati. And they were complaining that they were losing their home field advantage by not having enough easy wins or something like that, which is funny because normally you'd want those three games at home, not on the road. Allegedly. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the article I sent my buddies that, that I thought was an onion article. Is that is that part of the tiebreaker or something like home record? I don't know, but it just seemed like it was like the idea of having a lot of home games as you get it. And I think part of it is too, they're the host in, since in, in Germany. So they technically lose a home game. So maybe they got to choose their opponent and make it a little easier or something. Because I know when I was looking at the schedule for Bearcations, we usually prioritize the five non-division games because we can play Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay every year. And there's six of them. And we've actually been to four of them, which narrowed our Bearcations down to Kansas City and Cleveland this year. So even though we're not going to Germany, we will be in Kansas City week three. So I will be going to Bears Chiefs. So I get to hopefully the Bears will have revenge on their mind for getting booted from Germany uh, when it comes. And hopefully that'll be a motivation, a little locker room material. Maybe, or they might just thank them for not having to make the commute. We'll find out. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of... Uh... Being in Kansas City, the surprise team to open the season was the Lions, and it shocked everybody, even us here in Detroit. Although it did leak like a couple hours earlier, but it was still like, whoa, wait a minute. They actually believe in us? It's crazy. I mean, I, I get it, though. No one can wait for the sun god to rise on the football season. So why not have it the first game of the season? And Amon Ross St. Brown can shine on the rest of the league as he 
runs buckshot all over the Chiefs defense and wins me hopefully a third dynasty title. <laughs> well, um, the Lions definitely are going to – they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year because everybody in the world is looking at them and saying, okay, if they don't win the division, they're going to be up there. The Kansas City Chiefs, we'll see what Mahomes does to them, but the biggest problem after the free agency, I think, is the run defense. I don't want to get too much into the nuts and bolts of the game because that'll – happen when we get closer to the season but i i love the fact that the lions get to be on the national stage that people want to see them on the national stage and how many times are they on the national stage this year five four plus thanksgiving that's pretty impressive i believe they played both their uh packers games on thursday night so uh be interesting to see the two teams at uh detroit shank the green bay in the last game of the season cost them the playoffs so hopefully there'll be some bitterness towards those games and not to dig too much into it but i'm excited from a fantasy perspective watching the lions open up against the chiefs because the lions and chiefs might be upgrading their defense but they might not be ready week one you know so it could be fun to watch a shootout to start off the season and who knows It'd be fun to see if the lions can keep up to show off the shiny new gibbs you know See if he's got breakaway speed to keep up with uh, Travis Kelsey. The thing that we as Detroit fans need to keep reminding ourselves of is there's no automatic carryover from one season to the next. Mm -hmm. It's no guarantee that the mentality and the effort that caused the team to finish with a nine-win season is going to still be there when we get there. So... On the flip side, though, that doesn't mean the Chiefs are going to be as great as a Super Bowl championship team. So we could start off the season by saying Lions start off with KC, automatic loss. What's your take on that once the schedule comes out? You know what? Everybody in the whole football talk business, as soon as the schedule comes out, all you get for the next two or three days is, hey, let's go through the schedule that one's a win. That one's a loss. I got 11 wins. How many do you have? You know, and this drives me up a wall oh, because yeah. there's so much turnover in the NFL from one season to the next, more than I think any of the other sports, mm -hmm. at least the major professional sports in North America. People change their rosters from one year to the next. Strength of schedule stuff is based on last year. Basically, everybody thinks that everybody's going to do exactly what the last six weeks were. And you can't make those assumptions. And even if you don't change your roster, aging players age and young players develop. So if you have an aging roster, you're not, gonna, you're not the same team. Also, injuries happen, even if everything stays the same. So it's, it's, so, it's such an asinine thing to do is to think that we can predict what's going to happen based on last year's record. Now, we can project, will they improve? Will they step back, et cetera? But even then, strength of schedule tends to dictate a lot of that, you know? And I, it's just funny to me that NFC South, everyone's going to suck. Someone's going to be good. You know, we don't know who, maybe more than one. I don't know. I agree with you. I think that let's run through the schedule game is stupid. So let's figure out how many wins the Lions are going to have. Lost week one against the – no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's a segment we won't be doing because you can try to sound really smart by saying this is a win, this is a loss. But the fact is 
half the teams that were good the last year are going to stink. Half the teams that were bad last year are going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And half of what's left, it'll depend on when in the year you play them because of injuries and development. Yeah. And I, I got to say, I think the smart people that I follow, like a Warren Sharp type on Twitter, or the gamblers, they tend to say, you don't really know how good the teams are, at least until the quarter poll. You won't really get a good idea for that season until at least four games into the season. You know, you don't really know at that point. That sounds about on par with most of the other regular seasons. Nobody says, oh, my gosh, this is the best team in the NBA after five games. Yeah, right. And, you know, but speaking of teams that were good the last couple of years, though, I know the Bengals have been in the uh, final four the last two years. And uh, what, what's the schedule quirk that they were looking into in the offseason? The NFL decided they wanted to expand into Black Friday games. They wanted to have a game on Black Friday. They were going to put it on uh, Amazon Prime okay. for you know, some untold number of dollars. And Cincinnati put, put their hand up and said, hey, we want this. And not only do we want the, to host this Black Friday game, we want to host it every year. We want it to be our tradition. And apparently Amazon came in and said, you know what? Black Friday is the biggest uh, shopping day of the year. And we want to make sure that we can bring in the biggest market of the United States. Give us a game with one of the New York teams. And the NFL said, we will give you a game with one of the New York teams because that's the way the NFL runs things. So Cincinnati stinks for them because, you know, I'm all for the start of new traditions. And it drives me crazy when teams that are just from big markets get stuff just because they're big markets you know which big which new york team got it or is i think it was the jets oh wonderful so not even the good not even the big market big market team the uh, little little brother on uh, in new york huh and uh it's too bad because it would be kind of cool to have uh, a yearly tradition uh in detroit on thanksgiving and then just move right on down southward towards uh, cincinnati the next day it could have been fun for people looking to do road trips and stuff especially in our midwest great lakes area i totally agree i mean as somebody that grew up a lions fan with the cultural importance in this city of that thanksgiving day game here in detroit twelve thirty eastern every single year I would love for Cincinnati to have something that can be theirs in just the same way. Like Detroit was the first Thanksgiving Day football game ever anywhere. Cincinnati could have really had something here and the NFL decided to go in a different direction. And I really feel like that's unfortunate. It's a shame because the New Yorkers, they have enough going on in that big city that they probably won't care about the tradition, especially if it's the Jets. I mean, the Bengals have had a, interesting offseason one of the things we maybe didn't talk about as much as we could have when we were doing the free agency was their signing of orlando brown jr which has caused all kinds of uh, ramifications and rumblings uh, throughout the spring here because they had a left tackle jonah williams and they wanted to move him involuntarily to right tackle he said no trade me they were talking with the Jags before the draft that the Jaguars didn't give enough to interest the uh, 
Bengals, and now he's kind of reluctantly going to right tackle for the season. What do you think here? First of all, Jonah Williams, you're not a great left tackle. So I, I, if I'm the Bengals, I'm, I'm taking the upgrade of Orlando Brown, even if they've had to pay a lot to get him. And um, it's interesting. I, I didn't know that uh, the, the Bengals were offered a trade by the Jaguars, but it makes sense because they lost, uh, I think, Taylor Lewan to Kansas City. So they had a need to fill in, which was funny because they wanted to fill a right tackle anyway. So uh, Jonah would have been heading to the right tackle, but instead I think they traded back a couple times and took uh, Anquan Harrison in the draft. But uh, I hope uh, Jonah Williams can make it work because as average as he is at left tackle, he's probably going to get a little bit easier assignment if he can flip over and be an above average right tackle, which will really help keep Joe Burrow alive and maybe upgrade two spots. Yeah. They Lord knows that the offensive line for the Bengals absolutely needed an upgrade. I can understand why he'd be ticked because Mm -hmm. he's looking to get paid and this would be a major pay cut going from left tackle to right tackle. I think he's like, a former first round pick, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's cussed, he's about to come off his rookie deal and was looking to get, you know, a nice big fat left tackle salary and a right tackle makes a fraction of that. It's ironic because the guy who replaced him was a right tackle in Baltimore and wanted out of Baltimore because he wanted to play left tackle after filling in as an injury replacement. He did very well. But Baltimore wanted to move him back to right tackle, and he went to Kansas City, you know, and now he uh, – in a trade, he forced his way out. And, uh, you know, now he's getting paid in uh, Cincinnati. So it's interesting that you got two right tackles – or you got a guy who was originally right tackle switching to left for more money and then the left tackle being forced to go back to the right. So yeah, he knows and who won that. Brown won the uh, the battle with his front office to move on. Jonah Williams didn't win the battle with his. I I don't know if he didn't have the leverage or Jacksonville got to the point and decided to offer pennies on the dollar or what was happening there. I, I think that uh, when Orlando Brown played left tackle in Baltimore, he was an injury fill-in, and he played really, really well. So really Baltimore had two all-pro-type left tackles, and Kansas City – had just come off the Super Bowl where they lost to Tampa, where Mahomes got massacred. Kansas City said, you know what? We will trade a first rounder to take your guy. And I don't think Jacksonville was probably trading a first rounder for Jonah Williams because he never played at that elite level that, that uh, Orlando Brown did even for that half a season at left tackle in, in Baltimore. And he had a True. lot more time at left tackle than Orlando Brown did. He never played at that level. Yeah, I think I read that the pro football focus grades, like Orlando Brown's worst grade in the last four years is better than Jonah Williams' like best grade in the last three. I believe that. Jonah Williams, this isn't a knock on him. He's just never been elite. He's just been fine. And you, you like to upgrade fine to elite if you can. And I think fine is a great place to be a right tackle. Even if it yeah. sucks on your wallet. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's all about getting the, the trade right. But speaking about getting the trade right, let's go up 71 to Cleveland, who added Zadarius Smith this past week for 
basically the loose change in the couch. So <laughs> let's talk about this deal a little bit. So Cleveland got Zadarius Smith plus a 2025 sixth and seventh rounder from Minnesota. And Minnesota got back a fifth in the 2024 and a fifth in 2025, mainly just dumping the cap because I think they needed to get rid of him in order to sign the rookie class. So this is an interesting trade because I don't think Minnesota wins. Cleveland, this is going to be the best pass rusher outside um, on the other side of uh, – Miles Garrett that they've ever had in the Miles Garrett age. So that's pretty exciting for Cleveland. And to be honest, is this the first time that Darius Smith is the number two defensive end pass rusher on his team? Cause he's been in part of some good pass rush duos, but with Miles Garrett, it might be the best. And it's kind of funny because Jonah Williams is now moving from blocking uh, Miles Garrett, but he's not going to get a rest because he's now going to go against the Darius Smith twice a year. Just tying back to the last story. No really. Yeah, this to me, this trade is nuts because the Minnesota Vikings cap is in shambles and their team is about to be. The mm-hmm. one thing that we could you know, have kind of been saying the last you know couple episodes where we were talking about, you know, maybe we're, are we writing the Vikings off too soon was their defense is not good. And I don't see think they realize it. This is not going to help. And they're not going to get anything back with that uh, cat with the draft picks they got in return. That's going to come anywhere close to returning this production. No, I mean two fifth rounders. That's not that exciting. And and really, they're not even two fifth rounders. They just moved up a little bit, you know, in the drafts from sixth and seventh to fifth. And it's interesting because when you look at their offseason as a whole, they've now lost Adam Thielen. Sure, he's aging, but he was a fan favorite and multiple time all pro he they can lost, still play uh, yeah you can still play exactly especially if you make him the number three and you you know behind addison you know if you if addison works out um and then you lost um patrick peterson who played really well last year so a lot of uh people who are talking about the the vikings as a you know, title contender because they won 13 games last year a lot of people thought yeah they're more of an eight nine win team well, if they really are an eight or nine win team and you lose all those formerly great players, this could be a sneaky bad team. It could be a six, seven, five or six win team if things don't break very well. Well, one of the things that cracked me up is, well, we're seeing officially conflicting stories on Dalvin Cook's fate, but somehow in the last 48 hours the twitter banner for the minnesota vikings and i swear i'm not making this up swapped out dalvin cook for alexander madison on the twitter banner believe it so i mean officially they're still saying we want to do right by him and we want to honor his commitment to the team and we love dalvin cook none of them are saying he's going to be here so we're looking like we're going to subtract dalvin cook too yep so i mean that's really opening the door for a transition where you know the packers and the vikings have dominated the division for years and there's already been talks about the lions are up on the upswing after the last half of the season the bears had a good off season and they're a young team that might be coming up and uh, the packers lost aaron Rodgers, so they might be humming down and there's a lot of evidence that the uh vikings are coming down it's very interesting because 
two years ago, well, I guess last year, the uh, Vikings swapped out their GM. I think Quazy's the new guy. And he mostly just stayed the course and they won 13 games, but it wasn't really with his team. And I always find it interesting when a new regime comes in and they don't tear it down the year one when they have the opportunity. And instead they ride it out and then they get too successful and then they panic because now they can't get their trade. And remember Quazy, this is the guy who was talking about in a few episodes ago that was pondering out loud, saying the quiet part out loud that he would love to have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Well, good way to do that. Tear the roster down and move on from Kirk Cousins next year. And maybe you get a high draft pick. I don't know if that's what the plan is. What's your take? This to me you know, coming down, this to me looks like a bottom out. Like they are going to go from one of the wor- three worst cap situations to just dumping everybody and getting as much cap space as they can. It wouldn't surprise me if they are picking in the top 10 of the draft each of the next two years. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, it's interesting though, because they might not even fully bottom out, which is what they'd want to do. They still got Kirk Cousins, who's pretty good. Justin Jefferson's elite. Hawkinson's good. Maybe Addison will be well, good, totally well. And remember, they picked up the best uh, defensive end in the uh, offseason with a, a Marcus Davenport on a one-year prove-it deal, which is now more puzzling. Why would you grab him to try to win now and see what he's got when you're trying to tank, if you are trying to tank? I'm not sure that they realize that they're tanking, that they, their GM might see these guys as replaceable. I don't know how you see Zadarius Smith as replaceable, but uh, I mean, I guess that he did have one injury year in there. Marcus Davenport has never played more than 500 snaps. He's not a replacement. He's not even an upgrade. I mean, he's good, but he's you'd rather yeah. have Devin, or, uh, Smith than Davenport, to be honest. Yeah, but if you're you know, Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback when you have support for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, Justin Jefferson's elite. But what else do they really have that's proven and above average? Let's not forget their offensive line isn't very good. So if you don't have elite skill position players like Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. It... And you're below average on the line mm-hmm. and your defense stinks. It'll be interesting to see what Madison can do without Cook if he do if they do move on from him because there's something I remember reading about years ago and I think it was a what was it it was a Football Outsiders maybe 20 years ago called the breather effect where the backup running back comes in and he looks great because the defense thinks oh the backup's in so they don't really crash down as hard so the backup looks better than he is so then that team moves on and then the backup turns out he's not as good when the defense is keying on the run when he's in there. And it's only effect happens when they're dealing with an elite running back, someone like a Dalvin cook. So it'll be interesting to see test this theory next year with um, Alexander Madison. I mean, we've seen good flashes from him, but he might be a discount version of cook. And then the uh, GM is right that they're rebuilding on the fly for cheaper at running back, or it turns out cook could just be an elite player that he was last five years and they could regret it be drafting the top 10 cook is the sort of player that's always been banged up 
He's no, almost always misses multiple games a year and isolated games. He never gets major injured. True. He gets a week here and a week here because the shoulder gets messed up. And Madison has done very well against NFL defenses, even in full games. But it still might be, what did you call it? The breather effect? The breather effect, yeah. That's interesting. I kind of, I, yeah, I'd like to see that idea tested a little bit more. Yeah, I think I first read about it when they were talking about Michael Turner being overrated when he went to Atlanta, and that was proven wrong in that situation. But I've seen it in other situations before, <laughs> seem pretty accurate. So, yeah. I also want to look at this from the Cleveland perspective. They're getting Zadarius Smith. Uh, they are really have made a living these last couple years getting players aggressively in trades Mm -hmm. the way that very few teams in the NFL are doing and not only we talked a little bit about how Sidarius Smith is going to impact this team from a defensive game wrecking philosophy sort of the now they've got their second pass rusher for sure even if nothing in the draft pans out but they also got Amari Cooper for pocket change. They did very well with Elijah Moore. I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm forgetting other people. This is almost like an NBA kind of weaponizing your own cap space. Is this like the wave of the future we're seeing here? Well, it's interesting because that's something that people don't understand is a lot of people, they clear cap space to sign the biggest free agents. But the free biggest free agents are often guys who – their team doesn't want them unless they're a cap casualty, but Cleveland has been the best at this. Chicago did a little of this with the DJ Moore trade. They could, they had a lot of cap space so they could stomach his, uh, his salary. But in addition to this, the trades you mentioned, Zadarius Smith, Mari Cooper, Elijah Moore, well, Moore was on the rookie contract, but the other two guys were very expensive. They also remember they got a first round pick years ago, just trading for Brock Osweiler after I believe the uh, Texans signed him to a huge contract for doing Denver. Yeah. Cause Osweiler came in, he threw the ball and it looked better than Peyton Manning because Manning was on his last year with a noodle arm. And then Manning went, led him to the Super Bowl, and Osweiler got paid because he looked good for throwing the ball for two games and, then turned out he just wasn't a quarterback. He was just a guy who could throw the ball really hard. And Cleveland said, I will take that uh, salary cap off your spot for a first round pick and we'll load up. And that's what kind of started this Cleveland run that ended up leading them to winning their first ever playoff game against the Steelers a couple of years ago. And it's interesting because as a whole, the way Cleveland's doing it, it's very sneaky because kind of the weakness they've had the last year was the defensive line outside of Miles Garrett. Now, in the draft, and especially during free agency, I think they hammered the defensive tackle if, as much as Chicago did, if not more. And now you throw in Zadarius Smith outside of Miles Garrett. I mean, I'm curious to see where the Browns end up on the fantasy rankings, but that defensive line is going to wreck havoc. That secondary sucks. It might not be great, but they're probably going to get some sacks and interceptions, you know, and Cleveland could be a sneaky good Super Bowl team, especially if Deshaun Watson returns to Houston form. What do you think about that? As a whole? I'm totally with you. If the Deshaun Watson suckitude last year was a product of rust and new environment, then 
Cleveland could be really good because sometimes it's just finding that second pass rusher. I know that's one of the big things that happened in Detroit the second half of the year was they got somebody where they didn't have Aiden Hutchinson facing triple teams on every play and no pressure. Well, you know, Miles Garrett is top three. I mean, he was in the running for a defensive player of the year. If he didn't get it, I can't remember. I don't think he got it because the defense team wasn't great, but he was right there. You give him somebody else on the other side that's a multi-time pro bowler, look out. They dude, That's a good way to improve your coverage in a hurry is to make them not have to cover for that long. So, yeah, I see Cleveland. I see this as a huge ad for Cleveland. Big win in the trade, Denzel Ward. He's going to look like a pro bowler. He doesn't have to cover his receivers very long anymore. He's already a pro bowler. <laughs> but yeah. Interesting. I think uh, Cleveland's it, sneaky good this year. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. I agree. And it is very, very interesting to see the Browns sort of weaponizing the cap space the way that we've seen happen in the NBA for years. There are only a couple teams in the NFL that are – actively aggressive in searching for talent via trade. The two that I have that do it better than anybody are Philadelphia and San Francisco. Oh, the two best teams in the NFC seems to work out pretty well for them. Yes. The difference is Cleveland has all this extra cap space that they could take somebody's player that they don't want and absorb it and pay pennies for it in draft capital and not lose that draft capital that they then use to get more young, good players that allow them to do it again. Mm-hmm. So speaking of draft capital or draft space, the rosters aren't set in stone yet. So there's some notable free agents still left on the market. Um, do you want to go down the list of a uh, yeah. Uh, couple weeks ago, I took a look uh, off the air at what some of the best free agents were that were still on the market. Everybody is all over the free agent signings that are at the top of each position and are all over the news in March. But there's a second wave of free agency that very often this is where title winners come from because you're able to fill holes here with bargain veterans on short-term deals that let you move on without the obvious weaknesses that you would have of a team that's still building. There's players available in multiple positions. Uh, Most of them are older. Some of them have track records. I mean, if they're free agents into the second wave, then they weren't anybody's big priority to sign. So a couple of them have been picked up since I did the list. Isaiah Wynn, now with Miami, the offensive tackle, fell out of favor in New England. Uh, Shaquille Griffin was probably the best corner still on the market. He went to Houston. But there's still some guys that can help football teams. Well, do you want to talk about the guys that signed for a second? So it's interesting with Isaiah Wynn. At 27 years old, he's one of the younger guys left on the market that just – well, that was on the market – and he was, I think they're starting left tackle for years and they moved him over to right tackle last year where he just did not play well. 
And he was able, it's like asking, you know, Steph Curry, start shooting threes with your left hand and just be just as good <laughs> once you've done enough of it. And I think that he struggled. So I think with Miami, it's interesting because I've heard talks about them using him as a guard because they've kind of bolstered their offensive line. And then um, I forget who's their left tackle. They signed for big money. Um, he was from New Orleans. He tends he tends to miss games in the season. So Isaiah Wynn also becomes a backup at left tackle for, you know, possibly three or four games, which I think is a sneaky good deal for a Miami Dolphins team that is going to Germany instead of Chicago now. So that could be interesting for them. And then uh, Shaquille Griffin, um, signed by Houston, it would be interesting. Houston's not really relevant, but maybe he'll can upgrade that secondary, you know, former yeah. Luffy Smith. But I don't know. They're not in our division, so. I don't think anybody sees Shaquille Griffin as a star, but even at 28, he's still very, very good. You put him in, he's a no-nonsense starter. You don't worry about it. Yeah. So what do you think – Let's see, it looks like you got Teddy Bridgewater listed as the quarterback. Where do you think he would might go to that would be a good fit? Would he be good for any of our teams? On uh... There's a lot of talk around here about a lot of Lions fans want Teddy Bridgewater. But there is also some sort of psychotic breakdown level obsession with getting a quality backup that I don't get. So outside of Hended Hooker, who do you have on the roster? Because he's not probably going to play this year. Right. Nobody, basically. I think Bridgewater would be a good fit in New York, uh, New York, in Detroit, because he is kind of have a similar uh, style of offense as um, golf, where he tends to uh, work the short and mid range of the area, move the chains more than push the ball down the field type. And I think that he could kind of keep if he was an injury filling for golf, he wouldn't be bad, especially if you guys are trying to make the playoffs and win the division. If golf goes on for a couple games. The veteran backup is Nate Sudfeld. Oh, no, no, no. You want Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> Sorry. And on. yeah, and that's basically why a couple of Detroit radio hosts and a chunk of the fan base are freaking out, like on the floor in the fetal position level, freaking out over, oh, my God, what happens to Jared Goff? And it's and I'm just like, look. If you're willing to pay the $10 million a year that it would take to get a Teddy Bridgewater, all right, but that's two starters or three starters you're not going to have. If you're going to do it that way, that's fine. Now you have peace of mind. But other than that, you don't want to see your backup go into the game. You're not thrilled with that. So the advantage to Nate Sudfeld, he's cheap. Yeah, that's true. You can just pat out the roster with maybe one of these other guys if you need it. Like, there's a lot of defensive ends. Do you have any talks on um, Dalton Riser before I move to the defensive end class? Because I kind of want to cover this as a whole. I think that's very interesting, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of quality defensive ends available. Dalton Reisner, for those of you who missed it because the, the Denver team last year was a pile of radioactive waste. <laughs> well, they said. got that's right. to. <laughs> Dalton Reisner is a 28 year old who got his way out of Denver by uh, pushing the backup quarterback on the sideline in a fight you know, at the in the middle of a game last year on Christmas. Oh, so that Christmas. was so they basically said, you know what, Reisner, 
thanks have a nice life <laughs> he sounds like a good raider <laughs> well i mean he's probably the best interior lineman veteran interior lineman available you have to see if he needs to be on meds or something but i have a fit for him i think the the vikings need to upgrade their line especially their interior and if things go south maybe he can assault Kirk Cousins on the sideline during one of the games and really help them tank the second half of the season by injuring Cousins, and then they oh, can God, move on to a rookie so contract. bad. No. <laughs> so Sorry. bad. Sorry, just, just, you know, marriaging, you know, it seems like a lot okay. of people in Minnesota. Look, I don't, want to, I don't want to define the guy by one incident <laughs> where he lost his cool, because let's face it, if I had to play in Denver last year, I'd be ticked off too. That's fair. It shows he's still passionate. He still wanted to win. Sign him up for a championship team. Let's go. Well, before we say he's ready to eat kneecaps, I do, I do want to <laughs> let's. Uh, Sounds uh, like yeah, a camel we'll guy. Him, yeah, we'll leave him there and let's look at. I've got five or six quality defensive ends that are capable of helping you, depending upon what your need and your flavor is. Mm-hmm. I love the free agency that this is where you tend to get a lot of the bargains because. If you can sell these guys that you are a, these guys tend to be ring chasers. Um, unless they're not a Kim Sue, he seems seems to want to get paid. And same with Jadavian Clowney because they don't know that they're 36 years old or maybe can't finish a sack like Jadavian Clowney can. Well, I want to talk about each of those individually. And mm-hmm. Dama Kim Sue is probably not going to sign because he's 36. That's he old. will, what he's going to do is he's going to sit around. He doesn't want to do training camp, so he's not going to do training camp. He's going to wait until we get to week six, week eight, week 10, see who is a legitimate contender who needs help on the interior of the line, and then he'll sign for the stretch run. Oh, the Roger Clemens, sorry. Signing midway through the season with a contender. Hey, he did it last year. That's a good point. I mean, hey, if you're 36 and you play defensive tackle, maybe it's better to sit out half the season. As long as you can stay in shape in the offseason. That's true. As long as you stay in football shape and not the shape of a football. So Yannick and Dockway is one of my favorite ones of these. He's the youngest defensive end available. He has ties to Matt Everflus in Chicago. The Bears did nothing to upgrade their defensive end on the offseason, which is crazy considering they had the worst pressure rate in the NFL last year. So that seems like a perfect fit bringing in in Dockway for Chicago because they badly need the defensive end after upgrading literally every other spot on the roster in free agency and in uh, trade and in uh, the draft. I would agree. He's my favorite defensive end of the ones available. Uh, the big strike against him is he's a minus in the run game. Well, sounds- I mean, a huge minus in the run game. Sounds to me like the Bears need to sign multiple guys of these and then reuse them as a situational pass rusher. And then get yeah, the maximum but the money nice thing the about, about Ngakwe is that he's only 28. So you can sign him to a three-year deal where you structure it so that they're probably not going to see year three unless he dominates, and you can get two good years out of him. Yeah. Maybe agree. three if he holds up. And that's why he, even without the connections to Eberflus, he's the best option for Chicago, who is in a two-year window, not a one. So 
signing one of these other guys in a vacuum, they're going to be a one-year contract win now move type. Ndakwe is one who makes the most sense. Now, the biggest name available is uh, Jadavian Clowney, former number one overall pick who made his name in the bowl game, crushing Michigan. But that's pretty much what he's lived his entire career on, that one play in college. Well, if he's got a lot of really good film in the NFL, but he's also made a reputation of being such a head case. Teams are really hesitant to sign him, especially now that he's 30 and he had such an ugly ending last year in Cleveland. I was trying to make a joke with that because that's not totally true. He's an interesting uh, character because he's actually an elite run defender, which people don't think about because they think of guys like him that go number one overall as elite pass rushers. And he actually is a better pass rusher than people realize because he gets a lot of pressure. But the one thing that gives him a lot of problems is he doesn't finish them. He doesn't have the good bend. So he gets a lot of pressure, chases the guy into Miles Garrett and doesn't get the sack. So when it comes time to get paid, he goes, hey, look at the PFF's grades. I am a top 10 defensive end. And the league just goes, you had three sacks. We don't, we're not signing that. We pay for sacks. We don't pay for pr- production. So he's, which is kind of nuts, but go ahead. You know, which is, you know, they, you know, if you want to get overpaid, get a 15 sack, 20 pressure season, not a three sack, 60 pressure season, you know? So he's kind of right. He deserves more money than they give him. But because of that, he has definitely developed this reputation as a head case. So people don't want to deal with them. And, you know, the ugly ending in Cleveland, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see who signs him, who takes a uh, risk on him because He's kind of what he was in the Cleveland. He should he's he's a really good run stuffing complimentary pass rusher. So someone like Pittsburgh would be great for him with across TJ Watt, which would be fun too, because then you'd add the uh to the rivalry of Pittsburgh versus Cleveland or something like that. And uh not sure where else would be any good fits from if you can think of any, but I'd I'd actually really like to see that now that I think about it. Well, that is true. Um, yeah. The thing that ticked a lot of people off in Cleveland, for those that missed that story, is he went and basically said that the team was more interested in getting Miles Garrett sack records than winning games or featuring him. And that did not sit very well. So I do not believe he played the last game for Cleveland. I think they basically said, go home and have a nice life. It's interesting because he might not have been wrong, but they weren't uh, in the playoff rating last year. And uh, why would they feature uh, Clowney? They're trying to get uh, Miles Garrett a defensive player of the year, and it was within grasp. He's saying the quiet things that he shouldn't be saying out loud, you know? It's one of those things that you don't say even if you are. No NBA team says they're tanking. They just say their star player pulled a hamstring the last two weeks of the season. Yeah. it's interesting, too, because another guy on the list is Leonard Floyd, former Bear first-round pick. He was kind of like Clowney, where he never fully lived up to his top 10 draft capital, but he was always a very good player. And like Clowney in Cleveland, he was a great complimentary piece to Aaron Donald in L.A., and I believe he was part of that Super Bowl team. But they also went through a three-year stand- stretch where they had a guy outside – pass rusher cleaning up the you know the Aaron Donald and they just kind of rotated through those guys and I think Floyd was the last one the one who got paid and I think he was on the Super Bowl team and he's very good but he never panned out but that doesn't mean he's not a value and I think he might be 
the next best value outside of Ndokwe because he doesn't have the head case coming from uh, Clowney. He might not demand as much money as Clowney wants. And he's still 30 years old. He's on the younger end of this list. And I think he would be another one of those guys who's a good complimentary pass rusher to a team that already has a good one looking to step up their game, you know? Maybe bring him back to Chicago along with Ndokwe. You were right. He was on that uh, title team. I really like the defensive ends that are also good against the run. You, I think it's really, really helpful for a team to have at least one of those guys mm-hmm. that you can plug in on downs that are obvious rundowns that won't kill you because he can st- he can still move unlike a defensive tackle, but you're going to actually have a chance of stopping the back before he gets to five yards downfield they end up with better production and better impact on the game than their dollar amount might suggest. Now I get that it's all about pressuring the quarterback, but there are other situational pass rushers that you can add. Mm -hmm. And also to your point, before we move on to the situational pass rushers, holding a team to third and seven versus third and two helps the pass rush. Even if he's not the guy getting the quarterback on third down. Well said. The guy who could get the guys on third down, I'm going to lump these two guys together, Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston. They're both 34 years old. They never seem to get old. No one ever seems to really appreciate how good they are. And they just always seem to sign as a late in the offseason with a good team. And they might not be a starting defensive end, but they come in as a situational pass rusher. And they just make their team look better. And I think that, any team could add these guys, no matter where you're at, whether it's these guys teaching younger guys how to play or just trying to take you to the next level by getting a third down pass rush going. I would add Frank Clark to the list of guys that could start but are better as situational pass rushers. He's a little bit younger than the two guys you were talking about. He's 30. The other two are 34. But, dude, Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston can both still ball. Mm-hmm. They just have to pick their spots a little bit better now. Yeah. And to me, like, I'm just going to re- keep bringing this back to my homerism with the Bears. And <laughs> I just think that, like, if I was the Bears GM to go right now, I would say, hey, look what we did with the linebackers, the secondary, the pet defensive tackles. We're bringing in defensive ends. And I would bring in Ndokwe to start. And I'd bring in uh, Ingram and Justin Houston and try to tell them, hey, we're going to rotate you guys. You're old. But that's the last piece we got. And if we can bring you guys in and get the passer, let's go. We're winning the division. Sorry, Sundad in uh, Detroit. Move over. Well, well, I don't know what kind of cap situation the Lions are in right now. But, yeah, they could definitely stand to add some defensive line help because that was really the position that they didn't do a whole lot with during the draft. And jokes aside, the Lions would make more sense for these guys because they have already turned the corner from second overall pick to winning team. Now they're trying to win the division and make the playoffs and make a Super Bowl run. And that's exactly the type of team that could go after one of these three guys if you include Frank Clark in that. And I think that would be a really good fit for them. Yeah. And before we get to the secondary pieces, let's recap this. You've got Ngakwe, Jadavion Clowney, Leonard Floyd, Melvin Ingram, Frank Clark, Justin Houston, all available and looking to play. 
so many good ones. Any of those guys is going to make a team better. And I do apologize if I've been calling Mel Melvin Ingram, Melvin Gordon. We'll find out the hard way in the comments. <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit about Shaquille Griffin getting signed already. And he's there an are so we can move on from them. Yeah, there's <laughs> the two best corners that I have still available are Marcus Peters, who's 30 and can still go. And Bryce Callahan, who had some mid-career injuries a year or two back, but looked really good last year. 31, though. I think it's going to depend on what you want, because Marcus Peters, he is a really good underrated outside cornerback, and I think he can still play, especially if you already got one guy. He could be that complimentary piece, kind of like when um, Gilmore was traded to the Cowboys to play opposite of Trayvon Diggs in Dallas. I like Bryce Callahan. He's underrated. He was on that Bears team, the eight, 2018 team that uh, had the double doinker away from beating the Eagles. He was really good as a slot corner. He is. He was one of the best in the league, and he probably still is when he's healthy. And he kind of gets washed in the shuffle because he played in Chicago and uh, then Denver under Fangio. He followed him with there, and then he got hurt. But I think the more we play, we see more and more three, four wide receiver sets. I think guys like Callahan are way more useful than they used to be, even at the age of 31. One of the things that we are definitely seeing more is an increase in the value of a dedicated slot corner or an underneath coverage guy. Alabama has been building around a couple of those for years, the Crimson Tide, because you have somebody that's just great at covering those underneath routes. They can wipe out a large number of tight ends. They can wipe out backs coming out of the backfield. They can wipe out the slot corner. If they've got, if they've got the right build and the right skill set, a guy like that would be highly valuable because the versatility frees up a lot of other guys to do what they do best. And I also think with the slot receiver in the NFL becoming more and more useful, we generally think of them as the undersized route runner type, but teams also line their tight ends out in the slot. So that you also have to match up with big guys. So it's kind of important and having a nickel cornerback is important, but you might need to have two nickel cornerbacks to match up. You might need one guy for a little Wes Welker type, and then you might need another guy to try to guard uh, Travis Kelsey <laughs> and to say, you know, and it could be, it, it could be rough. And, I think guys that are willing to play inside, you know, and it's a harder position because they also have to kind of act as a nickel linebacker a lot of times and do pass and, and do a run stopping, especially if it's third and medium, there might be a, a running back coming downhill at them coming on a swing <laughs> for all we know, you know? So I think, I think both of those guys will be useful. And I think these are another guys that are great, like the pass rushers that could fill out a roster that's looking to contend right now. And I think that, a lot of our teams are in that boat, you know, most of the AFC North, Detroit. Uh, I don't think Indianapolis, maybe not Chicago yet, but I think there's a lot of teams that could use him, especially like a Cincinnati type who's worried about going throw for throw with Mahomes and uh, Josh Allen in the playoffs. Yeah, I just off the air, we've talked about it, but I don't know if we ever said on air. I pretty much see the Chicago Bears as being a year behind Detroit. I agree. But I'm letting my imagination run wild this year. Yeah, with all the cap space to blow, yeah. And I would say that that kind of dedicated underneath coverage specialist is exactly what Brian Branch was that the Lions drafted Good and point. paid pretty high 
value for it. Yeah, and he's got he's very versatile. He could probably play safety or underneath coverage or nickel slot. And uh, at least there's one notable uh, safety, 27-year-old Josh, John Johnson uh, didn't pan out in Cleveland. I believe he was pretty good in L.A. Ran, with the L.A. Rams a few years ago. Do you think there's any landing spots that he might want to go to or any strong takes on him? I mean, there's a whole lot of teams that could use better safety play, but nobody ever wants to pay a safety. That's basically the, 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 bot, the long and the short of it. So we talked a little bit about dynasty trades last week. So we had one that I actually executed about a week ago, right around the uh, our time of our recording of this pod, where I traded away Justin Jefferson in dynasty one single quarterback for uh, the number one overall pick in this year's rookie draft class, or as we said, Bijan Robinson, because it's kind of a slam dunk. And it was interesting because it was a tough choice to make because I moved heaven and earth to get Justin Jefferson in the season last year and it paid off. I helped me win my second title. But when it came down to the offer, I was thinking about this is these are the two of the top three players in dynasty. And it really kind of came down to, did I want the top receiver arguably with Jamar chase or do I want the number one prospect at rookie running back since Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott and Ultimately, I pulled the trigger on it because I think it was a trade that kind of made sense for both teams where um, Bart's in a rebuild. So using number one overall for a running back tends to not be what you want to do when uh, you're trying to look at a two, three year window to rebuild. Shorter shelf life on the position and you're looking to ramp up over the next two, three, four years. Exactly. And I think that's why it made sense for both teams in this. And even though I'm a little nervous giving up Justin Jefferson, but I think swinging for the fences with the running backs who can score more. I think even if you put Justin Jefferson head to head with the top running backs last year, I don't think he outscored them. So that was kind of my risk. And um, I'm hoping it pays off, knock on wood, and I get a three-peat. Well, full disclosure, you're sitting pretty good at wide receiver even without Justin Jefferson. You're not going to replace Justin Jefferson as a high one receiver, but you've got plenty of other guys that you can start. Yeah, I'll name off a couple. I have uh, DK Metcalf, Devontae Smith, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, the Sun God, and uh, and Deontay Johnson, who I think gives me four startable to elite type wide receivers, even if they're not Justin Jefferson level. Now it gives me up, gives up my advantage of really having strong wide receivers, but my running back core isn't nearly as reliable. And I think Bijan helps my overall roster better. And then it helps my trade partner, Bart rebuild his team. It gives him a little bit more runway to uh, swing for the fences on his draft picks. Yeah. um, That's a tough trade for me because I see Justin Jefferson as pretty much a sure bet about the only thing that can screw up Justin Jefferson is if Kirk Cousins walks and they replace him with nobody. And that won't happen until next year. So if I'm trying to win now, Jefferson actually makes more sense, which is a weird thing to think about because Bijan is an unknown commodity, even though we think he's likely to going to get 300 carries. We don't know. And, uh, it's interesting, too, because I was thinking about this. The last two first overall picks were uh, Brees Hall, Najee Harris, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Well, you could go Jonathan, Ta- uh, Jonathan Taylor. And 
I was thinking about this. If it was last year or two years ago with that rookie class hall or that rookie running back class at the number one overall, even having Najee Harris on my team, and I really like him, I don't think I would have pulled the trigger on that trade. I think it's just one of those things where if Bijan has to live up to his generational uh, bill at draft billing in order to pay off, which is what's making me a little nervous a week later, is that he kind of has to live up to that. Whereas if he's just Brees Hall or just Najee Harris, it might not be worth it, to be honest. And that's what does worry me a little bit, but maybe that's just buyer's remorse. Maybe. I mean, you're pulling a lion. You drafted him at his ceiling. Yeah, that's true. I, that's the absolute ceiling. On the bright side, Bart did tell me that there was three other offers from my rivals to get 101. So at least I blocked them and sent Justin Jefferson to a team that, knock on wood, isn't contending. But we'll see. Bart might wheel and deal him for more. <laughs> Who knows? Like when uh, the Packers traded uh, Brett Farr to uh, the AFC, hoping to never see him. And then a year later, he signs with the Vikings and beats him twice the next year. <laughs> oh, OK. So now we know what Aaron Rodgers is going to be in uh, <laughs> in 2024. Well, that's true. We know who Justin Jefferson's quarterback is two years from now. It's going to be Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I projected that when I made that trade. Whoops. Yes. Do you want the guys that are those kind of athletic freaks like a Bijan and boy, I hope for this, uh, the sake of your team and just for the young man's sake that he lives up to his reputation, but you can also, it can also go the other way, like a Javante Williams. Uh, what does, and, and this is also, I know another player you've been kind of following for some of your more long-term format, like dynasty and keeper teams. And what are you thinking here, man? Yeah. So he's going to be in his third year. Now he was one of my, my pre-draft rookie crushes when he came out of North Carolina, because he just, he was a tackle breaking machine, big play waiting to happen. And we saw a lot of flashes of it rookie year where he could not shake Melvin Gordon from uh, stealing his carries. And a lot of people thought he was going to be a breakout top 10 guy last year, especially when uh, Gordon moved on and then he blew out his knee and it doesn't look good because it looks like it's more than just a clean ACL. It looks like there's a couple ligaments so there's yeah. a lot of thought that it's closer to J.K. Dobbins coming back maybe late in the year with a limp more than um, some of these like receivers like Godwin who came back and just looked like the old all-pro self. Uh, yeah, this is a – it's a bad knee injury. So It's not quite J.K. Dobbins bad, which, you know, short of Joe Theismann is about as bad of a leg injury as you're going to have. It was definitely not your typical blown ACL. That's the nine month injury that we're used to hearing. And then they come back and within a month of their return, they're fine. This so, is not that. Yeah. So I think in a redraft league, it's going to be hard to draft him, to be honest, because he's he might not come back until be, you know, 10 or 11, kind of like J.K. Dobbins did. So if you get him late enough and you can bank him on the IR, that's one thing. But I think the bigger question for him is what do you do with them in a single quarterback dynasty league? Can you would, would you offer someone a late first round pick for 2023's rookie draft pick? Maybe a late 2024 first? Is he worth the hold? Do you move on from him thinking that maybe a year from now it's a new regime? Sean Payton didn't draft him. They might bring in their own. They might bring in a, their own running back next year in the draft. It's tough because I really do feel like. 
this could be the only year that Javante Williams has to prove himself in Denver. And if he is not back and looking really, really good at some point in the year, then he's going to be another team with very little invested in him. He's going to have to prove that he's better than in order to just get any carries. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know what you would get for Javante Williams at this point, trading him. And like, what would you trade for him? Cause like, if I'm, if I'm a team, I don't, if I don't have him, I don't think I'm trading a first for him. I don't think he's worth that no much way. risk, but if I'm if I own him, I don't think I'm trading him for a third because what if he does pan out, you know, and, and, and he comes on strong late in the season? He could technically, if he comes back healthy in the second half, he could come off the bench and you know, Sun God style as a rookie and lead you to a championship. In which case, he's worth way more than a third. But if he falls out of favor with John Payton, maybe salvaging him for a late third or a second. <laughs> or a fourth is all you can get from him. And then you at least got something out of him, you know? Yeah. It's and, a riverboat gamble, basically. Yeah. It, you, it depends on, you got to follow the medicals, I guess, and see how he's doing in camp and see if there's BS on those. Reports. That, and it might be a case of what is your roster looking like? Can you afford to just sit him now that he, you know, a lot of dynasty leagues, you can taxi squad a guy for the first year or two. Now he's year three. You can't taxi squad Javante Williams anymore. Nope. Yep. He's got to be active roster at the bottom of it. So you got to ask yourself, is he worth that lottery ticket? So it's, it's really about your roster, but I, I don't know. I mean, as much as I like the guy, I it's, it's, it's hard to tell because Cam Akers was in a similar spot last year where I was getting low ball offers for him. And I just, said you know what his draft capital is worth holding on to and he ended up a top five running back down the stretch and now he's going to be worth a lot more if I tried to flip him now or just ride him into the season and I think that's the best bet for uh Javante I think I'd probably try to hold on to him and hope something like that happens because I mean Denver brought in Samaji Pirine but he kind of profiles as a very good backup I don't know if he's there to take Javante's job this year so at least you have this year to see what you got in Javante before seeing if he can come up in value. I think it's worth the hold, to be honest. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It doesn't make sense to give a guy away in Dynasty when there's still significant upside. Especially a third-year running back who has very low tread on the tires because even when he plays a rookie, he was only playing 40% of the snaps. You know, So he's he, he could be one of those guys that, defies gravity and plays well as a 28 year old running back you know yeah i i agree but sadly that's all the time we have for this week's episode we want to thank our listeners for spending this time with us to be part of the show email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com we're always looking for your questions and comments that was midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com we also want to thank raymond again for our theme song find his music wherever digital music is sold And thanks to Chris Brandley for our original logos. But it's time to take it into the locker room for the fourth quarter. So we will see you later. Miss you already.